Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. And my guest today is Donna Heckler. Now, Donna's story is living like a lady with a tenacity and a resilience through circumstances that would cause many people to give up. And she's going to share with us today on how and why she did not give up. She's also written a book where she gives tips to women who are going through cancer, going through cancer treatments in particular. And I think this is a -a one-of-a-kind book, and she's going to share those tips with some of those tips with us today. Donna is a global brand strategy marketing executive, and she builds brands for international companies. She is a busy lady. She serves as a chairwoman of the Cancer Support Community Board. She's a member of the Purdue University Center for Cancer Research Advisory Board. And she was named one of the outstanding business leaders in St. Louis under the age of 40. Quite an accomplished woman. She is also a motivational speaker and the author of her book, Live Like a Lady. Welcome, Donna. Thank you, Carol, for having me. So what I would like to ask you first is your initial reaction when you were diagnosed with cancer. So my initial reaction was sort of interesting because I was just sort of quiet about it. Um, It had been a crazy day. I had actually interviewed um, to run the global marketing for a very major company. And that morning and that afternoon, I get a call that, oh, by the way, this is cancer. And I was just sort of dumbfounded. My reaction was, wow, well, now what do we do? (laughs) (laughs) And, And the first big question, ironically enough, was, well, do I take the job? What you know? I know I'm going to get the job now. Now that I have cancer, do I take the job? What do I do? <laughs> How do I live my life? So that that was the initial reaction, which which probably is not um, typical. There later, I thought, well, Donna, you should have freaked out. You should have been upset. But I, I that's just not how I went through it. Basically, that was my next question, asking you if you were fearful or did you immediately have a, a um, like a tenacity, I guess, in you that you were going to win this battle, like a knowing that you were going to win or were you terrified not knowing what you were going to do? You know, so Carol, that is a wonderful question. And, and I know faith is important to you and to your listeners. And I will say that I think I had a great tenacity 
But I also just had this calm faith about it, that whatever was supposed to happen was going to happen, and it was in God's hands. Um, and, and so I looked at it as how do I go through my days? You know, what do I need to do for today, either for work or, or for my cancer? And I will do my job um, in, in terms of living my life. So did I think I was going to get through it? There were days I didn't know. My cancer was, uh, I was herp positive, which um, just sort of designates what type of cancer it was. It was a very aggressive cancer. Um, it had grown to larger than a tennis ball size, greater than 10 um, centimeters in just under eight months. My goodness. So it was very aggressive. And um, so I, I just sort of had, had to put it in, in others' hands to take care of this. And so did, was I tenacious? Yes. Did I take the job? Yes. Did I want to live my life? Yes. And when people said to me, are you a um, cancer survivor? My reaction was, uh, no, I'm going to be a cancer conqueror. You know, I, I'm Good. Just, Good. just not going to let it get to me. Excellent. Uh, yes. Yes. Was there anything else that happened in your life prior to this where you had to overcome a circumstance, you know, that maybe not necessarily in the physical, but emotional or any other thing that might have given you this kind of, of resilience? So, Carol, I think I think that there have been several things, um, you know, quite frankly, about a year before I was diagnosed, I had been in a very freak accident and um, fell and shattered my leg. They actually weren't sure I'd walk again. Um, so I was just two months from being on crutches um, and I was walking, but it had just been two months since I'd gotten off crutches that we diagnosed the cancer. The, the doctors would tell you, they told me, um, that cancer often arises when there's stress. Yes. Many um, of your body cells have the propensity to become cancerous and that there, there can be stressful things that, that can cause the cancer to, to somewhat emerge. So in my book, I write about the fact that apparently I had more than one unhappy cell um, because we got that cancer pretty doggone quick after that happened to the leg. And I think that did contribute to my resiliency. Now, you you continued to work, however. So would you not be putting yourself in a very stressful situation going through it? Or is that a different kind of stress that you feel didn't uh, necessarily contribute to, um, you know, any other problems while you're while you're while you're going through treatments? Well, so, again, wonderful question. So when I was diagnosed and I'm interviewing, the life I knew was to work. The life I knew was to travel and to do brand work and to speak and do do the stuff I loved. And I didn't want cancer to take that away from me. Mm. I felt that I could be a better fighter of cancer if, in fact, I was doing what I, I thought I was good at. And so I, I looked at this as I wanted to live my life. And I looked at my doctor and I said, look, as far as I'm concerned, you're going to do the fighting. You're going to give me the medication. <laughs> you're going to give me the chemo. I'm going to live. And here's what living looks like for me. Um, and she looked at me. She's like, 
okie dokie, like, you know, here we go. Um, and she, she actually encouraged me and she said, you know, you can, you can do this. You can take the job. You've got to be careful if somebody's sick, but we're going to work through that. Um, you can travel. I said, I might have to travel internationally. She said, call me first. So, you know, I absolutely looked at the work as an opportunity to, to be who I was through this journey. But several years later, about two years after that, I'd gone through all my treatments and um, and cancer was gone, but we couldn't get my cancer markers to come down. And when the cancer markers are high, it can mean a few different things. One of them is that cancer is coming back. So in speaking with the doctor, she said, you know, I know your job got you through this, but I think the job is very stressful for you and you probably need to consider something else. So I did leave corporate America as a full-time employee about two years ago. And, you know, my cancer markers dropped within six months back to normal, and they've been normal ever since. That's phenomenal. That's a phenomenal report. And I can only imagine what you felt like when you got that report. Yes. And, and I, I was dumbfounded because on the one hand, I loved what I did. And on the other hand, I did know it was stressful. But, you know, you know that these things are stressful for you. It's just being willing to acknowledge that and take some steps to make changes so that you don't allow the stress to, to feed some of these little cancer cells that might be in you. Personally, I'm big on attitude. And I think that's one of the one of the premises, one of the platforms that we um, um use in our show and that is never ever give up hope and that is comes down to attitude and you obviously not only had a phenomenal attitude going through this but you must have something to contribute to that attitude throughout your life I don't think it's something that you just woke up one day and decided to become a positive person so was it your upbringing that you feel you got your strength from or just share with us Sure, sure. So I, I think my upbringing has a lot to do with it. Um, I was very fortunate. Wonderful family. Um, I still have my parents with me. They uh, were, were so helpful and involved um, in my cancer journey. Um, wonderful sisters, although we are spread across the country, we are very close and very connected. Um, we we are Catholic and we went to church from the time I could first remember. And there's a very strong sense of faith in, in our family. Um, ironically, when I was going through the cancer treatment, one of my friends showed up while my mother was here and my, and, oh my gosh, I was so sick with the chemo. <laughs> and the friend said, you know, you're just Susie Sunshine. And my mother, she was so funny. She got so bent out of shape. She goes, you can't call her that. That was my nickname for her when she was in preschool. She's always been. And I was like, really? I didn't know that. So there was something from the very beginning that I think is very much um, family-based that allowed me to to always see a, a bright side or find that bright side. So, Susie Sunshine, this is what we're going to be calling you now. (laughs) Um, Now, I'm sure that there are many women listening who have either gone through or are going through cancer treatments. And they would love to hear what your mission is, because you mentioned on your website that you have a mission to help women who are going through this journey. Tell us about your mission. 
So my mission in a nutshell is to assist women to be radiant, to live their most radiant life. And, and they can do that despite the cancer. And so what we try and do is provide the practical tips and tricks and insights that perhaps the doctors don't have the time to share with you um, that allow you to know that you can take an element of control and you can be your best self despite what's going on. And so that really has been our mission. So whether we are talking about the book and some of the, the things that we have in the book, um, or we've been doing some seminars now, and it's always, let's start with this beautiful person you are, and let's help bring that inner beauty out. And let's not let this cancer get in the way of that. Now you mentioned we, is there someone that has co-authored this with you or? No, you know, so I say we a lot. Okay. Um, and, and we, so I do have somebody who is a, a partner in some of the things we're doing. We set up a, a foundation to help women. And so, uh, you know, when I say we, you know, he's certainly involved. Uh, but, you know, quite frankly, a lot of the we are the two cats I have in myself. I mean, they're always a part of the writing process. So Tinkerbell and Pepper make up the we. Tinkerbell and Pepper, you said were cats? Yes. And aren't they, um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, therapeutic? Oh, my heavens. Absolutely. In, in fact, and I don't know if there's truth to this or not, uh, but somebody thought that perhaps one of my cats had indicated that, that I had cancer before we knew, we'd felt it, or the doctors knew, and that was because the cat had changed positions, used to never, ever, ever sit on me would just put two paws on one leg and then for some reason crawled up and started sitting only on my left breast on my chest and, and the left side is where I had the cancer and they said that you know animals are that intuitive that it is highly likely that 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 little uh, baby of mine had noticed the cancer or felt something that's amazing and I've heard yes. that many times I think we all have yes yes okay Yes, I have heard about dogs and cats having a, like, they almost can smell it, which yes. is understandable considering how strong of a sense of smell they have. But even more so than that, I think that they would sense, whether you want to label it stress or whatever you're going through, that they they want to, they love you so much and they love you unconditionally and they just want to to let you know, like you said, even going from touching your leg to laying on your chest that they are totally endeared to you <laughs> and there, there's just there's no I don't think there's anything else that um, gives you that same assurance and feeling that how much you're loved as as with a pet so I could totally relate with that and thank yeah. you for sharing that okay um, so why did you decide to write your book so I had kept a blog while I was going through the cancer journey. I've, I've written another book. I'd written before. I do a lot of writing and, and marketing. So it's something that I naturally enjoy doing. So I kept a blog because there was no way I had the energy to talk to everybody every day, uh, especially when I was going through some of my worst treatments. And so by keeping the blog, people could all read what was going on. And we ended up having, I don't know, thousands of people reading this and following it. And I kept getting the same 
sort of response to it. Oh my gosh, Donna, you have to put this into a book. You have to create a book. Nobody tells you these things. And so what I was reporting on were the the things were that were so unladylike to me. So, you know, I'm getting up every day. I, I said, you got to start with a smile. Then I put on my makeup, which took a long time because it took a long time when I was so ill, put on my wig and I'd go out to work every day. And along the way, People, nobody told me that my face would get so puffy from the steroids and I'd have to change the way I did the makeup. And so I would talk about that in the blog. And, and nobody told me that not only might you lose your hair, but really mean all your hair. And that may mean your eyebrows and your eyelashes. And, oh, my gosh, now what do we do? So those are the things I was talking about. And people were reacting. And they said, wow, we have to get this information to other people. Nobody ever shares this stuff. And so as I, I realized that I probably needed to step away from corporate, I thought now might be the time for me to take this information and create a book that is meaningful. So I talked to other patients and interviewed a number of other women. And I said, what are the things that you wish you'd known that you wish somebody had told you that would have made this journey just a little bit easier? And so I got so much great information from them. I also spoke with a number of doctors and medical providers, uh, trainers, lymphedema specialists to say, here are some of the things that nobody tells us as patients. What are your reactions? What am I missing? And we just I, I just felt like we got so much great information. And and that then became the basis for the book. So within the book, I never wanted it to be the Donna story, although I'm the writer, so you're going to get that story. But the story is more in little sidebar sections throughout the book. I really talk about here's what's going to happen to you. Here's why it might happen. And, you know, don't worry. Don't panic. We're going to handle it. And here's how we're going to handle it, ladies. So it must be an incredible book of encouragement. I, If I may say so, I think it is. Um you know, I've, I've been laughing lately that um, I wish you could measure success on touches um, because the business person in me wants to measure it on money. Um, <laughs> and, and that's not that really doesn't matter here. If we measure it on touches, you know, people are sending me notes and they're responding and they're saying, I, I feel inspired. I feel like I can do this. Um they're grabbing my hand and saying, thank you. I needed that little uplift today. So I, I, I think it is mattering to people. And I think, I hope it is inspiring. Well, it is inspiring because just what you're sharing, the very fact that what you have gone through and to continue um, uh, working, I very often speak to people who throw pity parties. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, and I don't know if you've ever thrown any, but every pity party that I've ever thrown, nobody has shown up. Yeah, it's funny how that works. You know, they, they, <laughs> they like to leave you alone to enjoy your own party. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so they are drawn to people like yourself who have good attitude, who are inspirational, who are motivational. And from that, you get strength, too. So it is a give yes. and take. It's not just giving out. You're also receiving. 
Absolutely. And I think the more that you give in these areas, of course, the more it comes back to you. Tell us a little bit about your job before we continue, just so people have an understanding of how busy a lady you are, and yet you you continued working through this. So, so brand marketing is sort of the strategy uh, that sits back there behind these big brands we know and, um, and how they get communicated to us as consumers. So, so my work was, is very much to take a look at a brand. Some of the brands I've worked on that you might know, for instance, the Energizer brand, Energizer batteries. I ran that brand for a bit. Um, Ingersoll Rand, you might know train um, heaters and air conditioners. So the questions that I'm looking at are things like, what does this brand mean? Why might you want to purchase it? Um, who are the competitors and what do they offer that is different from us? How can I help you know what our brand means and why you as a, a potential audience uh, would want to purchase this brand? And and in my career, I've, I've gone from doing that in the United States to doing it globally. So, you know, the questions are always the same. It's what motivates people in different countries. And yet it's the same brand. It's the same product. We're, we're providing a value and a service to you. And how do I communicate that to you? That's incredible because I can just imagine when we talked earlier about the stress level. It's a high stress job. It, it, it is. It is. Um, you know, interesting for me is that the stress of it is more in the politics of corporate America okay. than in Never the said. <laughs> I love the work. It's the politics. And oh, my gosh. <laughs> and you're still doing that? You're, you're continuing in that position or? I am not full time. I am still doing um, more project work now. So I'm doing the same type of work for a number of different companies in a project position. And that allowed me to get out of some of the politics, which was causing my stress. Good, good. See, you knew yes. how to handle your stress. Yes. And that's important. I yes. think that's an. Do you cover any of that in your book? Like how do women deal with the stresses they're going through in their life? We do. We do. In fact, we have a chapter on sort of life um, cancer balance, um, a playoff of work life balance. But but this is different because all of a sudden cancer comes in and you have to balance cancer treatments with your life, with your work and in the stress that the work might cause and what that could do in terms of the cancer treatments itself. So I, we do talk about stress quite a bit and how we as women um, can handle it. And in fact, we've been trying to think a little bit, is there, is there a tagline or something simple that can help convey what we're trying to do with the book and our website. And we talk about the fact that, um, uh, women like control, but cancer steals it. And a Say lot that again. Women like control, but cancer steals that. And we, I don't think it's fully flushed out yet, but we say that because a lot of our stress as women um, often come from the fact that we can't control everything. And if there's anything cancer does, it totally takes away your ability to control your situation. And that's part of what we wanted to fix with the book. And do you do that through tips or? We do that through tips. We do that by giving you some ideas on how you can take a little bit of control back in your life. Um, it, whether So the way we've laid out the book, 
Um, we start with your hair will fall out because that's usually one of the first things we all think about. And then mm-hmm. the last chapter of the book is your hair will come back. And, <laughs> and we talk about everything in between. And so, yes, your hair may fall out. Um, you may lose your eyebrows, but here's what you can do to still have eyebrows. Um, you, you may not want to eat, but here's what we can do to make our food palatable so you do eat. You may find that the chemo completely dries out your skin and um, in, in, in everything. I mean, your skin, your mouth, um, your nose. And here's why that's important. And here's what we can do to moisturize it, get moisture back into that skin so it's not so painful. Uh, those are the things we do that allow you to take just a little bit of control back. That was my next question, and you've answered it. <laughs> so what kind of tips can you give? Like, you know, obviously you give some very specific ones. Yes, yes. We give, we give, and, and that's one of the things we've been hearing about the book is that it is, uh, and the website, many of these are on the website, is it's very practical, which is what I wanted. Um, so, for instance, eating is a really big deal. And, you know, the problem is nothing tastes good. You may feel sick a lot when you're going through treatments. You're just exhausted. So some of the tips are how to get you to eat. Um, and what we know is that if we sweeten some of the especially proteins, it'll be more palatable to a chemo patient. So if you put it in a sweet sauce, something like that, it'll taste a little bit better. Another one of my favorite tips is that when you are eating, you should eat with plastic utensils. Really? Um, Yes. Why is that? Well, so metal taste. Yes. Most of your chemos have um, some platinum in it and it really causes a strong metallic taste. And so if you're eating on metal silverware, it just makes it worse. So if you eat on plastic, you minimize that a little bit. Um, so, so things like that. Um, another big tip is to call your dentist. And this maybe seems obvious, um, but oftentimes a cancer patient will be told not to go to the dentist. And they're told not to go to the dentist because of the risk of infection. Uh, So, in fact, I was told don't go to the dentist. So I didn't. It didn't occur to me that I should call him. And in fact, when I finished with all of my treatments, um, I had so much damage to my salivary glands that I ended up having to get four crowns all on the side where my port was, where my chemo was coming through. Really? and the dentist said, oh, Donna, I see this all the time. I wish you'd called me. And I, But I was told not to, not to visit you. He said, I might have been able to give you a prescription toothpaste and we could have prevented this. But this is the type of stuff. It's so basic, but there's so much going on in the medical community, so much going on as you're going through treatment that these little things are, are missed. And I don't think they should be missed. So no, that's, right. that's what we have in the book. That's why that was your mission. Because you were fulfilling something that was not there. Yes, yes. You can be radiant when you go. I'm going to ask you about that. Okay, share, share that with us. So I did. I I did. I started every day with a smile, and on the back of the book, um, if anybody picks up the book, you'll see three pictures. And I took those pictures one Saturday morning. I got up and I said, you know, I always start my day with a smile. Um, let the let the Donna come out and then I put the makeup on. So I took a picture of that and then I put the wig on and that's how I went out every day. 
And I, I thought it was important for me to sort of understand the transformation I was going through, but more importantly, to realize that that I was still there. You know, the Donna that was smiling was the Donna who was going out with the wig on. And so how did I allow that Donna to be out uh, vibrantly, despite what was happening. Um, and I did find that I had to be quiet. I had to spend time with God and just recognize that this was the place that I was in, that I could see beauty all around me as I sat quietly, and that that could come through in, in my life, despite going through the cancer. You've mentioned your faith a couple times now, and that was another question that I did have, and that was that obviously that helped you get through. Can you expound a little bit on, like you shared a little bit about your youth and your attitude, and you know, did you find that it gave you the peace that you were looking for, or did you draw from Scripture? Like what specifically helped you to get through? Yes. Um, I, so I think it, it absolutely gave me the peace. Um, I, I think what happened for me, I've always been one, you know, you go to church on Sundays, I follow the rules, I, I did everything. Um, but I never sat quietly with God um, because I had this crazy busy life. And so, you know, I had lots of reasons and excuses. And, and the longer I sat because I was fatigued, because I couldn't get up. And this actually started when I injured my leg the more I realized that, wow, there is this wonderful spirit. There are these beautiful things around me. I have so much to appreciate and be thankful for, regardless of what's happening. So I felt that the, the, more, the more quiet I became, the stronger my faith became, the more I was seeing God in everything. Well, the more quiet you become, the more you hear. Yes, Absolutely. And how many times had I missed things that were just sitting right here? And I, I joke in the book that God gave me a timeout um, when I injured my leg because I had to sit and I had to listen. But apparently I didn't listen very well. So he <laughs> gave me another bigger timeout. And so like now I really get it. OK, God, I get it. You know, um, and I laugh, except I think that it's very true. So I, I you know, that spending quiet time and reflecting and um recognizing the good in your life despite what's going on is 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 just such a joyful experience the attitude of gratitude yes now Absolutely. what about laughter did you find that this helped you and did you did you read funny things did you watch funny shows like was laughter any part of your treatment as well Laughter, so laughter is, is what I do anyhow. Now, I think of myself as funny. I don't know if anybody else does, but, you know, <laughs> I laugh at my own jokes. So um, there we go. So already when I injured my leg, um, I, I nicknamed my, my injured leg, and I called it floppy um, because it just flopped all over. I mean, it was damaged in so many parts, you couldn't put any weight on it from, from toe to hip. And I, I called it floppy. To a large extent, because I very am very close with my with my young nieces, and they would want me to do things, and I would want to, and Donna wanted to, but Floppy couldn't, and I wanted them to understand that this I wanted to do what what they were looking for, but just physically wasn't able to. But I also realized every time I called it Floppy. We all started talking and laughing about it. It sort of opened up the conversation. So guess what? When I was diagnosed, we had lumpy. <laughs> lumpy light. 
And I write in the book that, you know, for talking about floppy, lumpy, and lumpy light, you might just want to call me dopey. So, <laughs> you know, and we did. I laughed a lot. I, you know, you're either going to laugh and cry, and I enjoy laughing a lot more. Exactly. And there's a time for tears, too. Yes. We don't want to belittle that because sometimes, yes. you know, tears can be very cleansing, too. They and do. and just and even having somebody to cry with you sometimes. Yes. And yes. I'm sure you had that kind of support in, in your friends and your family. But that's not where you live. And that's no. obvious. Right. That, and that, that's, that's not, what's important. Right. Because that turns into your piteous, pity party then, yes. right? Yes, absolutely. And and I found um, that using laughter for me allowed the conversations to happen with others because that was very normal, Donna. So when I lived w- within my regular space and, and could share some of the humor, then others were open to having conversations. And then you're right. Sometimes it took a different a, a different bend. And, and we did find obviously a lot of grief and all of this. Um, However, humor for me opened the door to the conversations. Good. Um, And now how did you, well, let me ask it this way. Did people in your new job know what you were going through? Uh, No, they did not. Um, Really? Yeah, I really struggled with what to do on that one. Uh, Since I had interviewed and been diagnosed on the same day, I was just very worried about telling them. Um, so, you know, I received the job offer. I didn't start the job until I was about halfway through my chemo treatment. So I felt like I'd have a sense of how I was responding. Okay. And, and fortunately, in this day and age and with the company I was working for, um, you know, I had an office to go to. But we also did travel and we worked from home. And so you could work anywhere. So I you know, I spoke with the oncology nurses and they said, look, when I come here, I'm coming in with a briefcase and a laptop. I'm going to work. And so they set me up in a little private area with a little screen. We turned the beepers on my infusion bags, my chemo bags uh, down so you couldn't hear it. And I'd be (laughs) on the conference call and I'd be sending emails and I just, you know, I just worked. I worked remotely. So they didn't find out until um, I had a lot of issues with chemo and I was uh, put in the hospital a few times. And during, uh, you know, I was put in the hospital right after Thanksgiving that year and, and I was in for about five days. And at that point they, they said, what's up? You know, are you sick? And, and I said, yeah, I said, it appears I have breast cancer. Oh my! <laughs> so I put it, and they're like, well, you're very calm about that. I never <laughs> did tell them that I'd known ever since I interviewed. So, <laughs> no, that's incredible. And um, that in, alone, in itself is a reason to buy your book. I mean, just to get through, to understand where you can get that strength, that you can get the right attitude, let alone all the tips. I mean, I think that they are so practical. I'm a practical person. I love practicality. I believe that we need more of it because it it gets down to the nitty gritty. Like you said, exactly. What do you do about your eyebrows? Right. What do you do about the food tastes terrible. These right. kind of things that I know that women are going to enjoy reading and applying. Yes. And so it's a it's not just a story, but it is a self help book. Yes. And that's that's great. I'm I'm so excited for you and this how long has the book been out? 
<clears throat> so the book has just been out six months. It oh, just okay. Came out, okay. Yeah, so it's still very new, very recent. It came out in September of 2014. And um, it, it is starting, you know, I'm excited. It's starting to get some traction. Um, it always takes a while, but um, it's getting some traction. And, and I hope that that means that we're offering something that is valuable to women. Absolutely. And yeah. I think you said it right there. It is valuable. It's a valuable, valuable tool and I'm sure a heartwarming story. So, and you do you have your cats in there. Are your cats um, in the book? <laughs> the, the cats are in the book. There you go. <laughs> are in the book. We talk about those little babies. And, yeah, and there, it was funny. We, you know, to have the book jacket, we had to have a um, some photographs taken. And one of the photographs we had laid the manuscript out. And you know, doggone if, if Tinkerbell didn't climb up and lay down on top of the manuscript with her paws wide out, and so we've got a picture of that. Aww. I'm like, well, that's pretty typical. Tinkerbell's right in the middle of it Aww, all. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. That's absolutely yeah. perfect. Yes. Yeah. Now, what is your call to action to our listening audience? What would you like them to do? Well, so we we would love for them to do a few things. Um, first of all, we would love for them uh, fundamentally to be their radiant self, to find their best place there and be the best person they can be um, and, and turn to God and, and recognize the role that, that God can play in their lives. Along that line, we'd like to help them. If they're going through cancer, uh, we invite them to purchase a book. Uh, we invite them to come to the website. If they can't um, get the book, there are a lot of tips and tricks there. Um, we are having seminars, um, and we invite them to come to some of these seminars. Uh, some of the seminars are occurring at the cancer support communities throughout the country or at the Gilda clubs throughout the country, and they're always free. Um, and, and so we invite them to be part of the mission. And if there's one singular thing that we would like people to do, it's that I felt I was just opening the doors to the conversation. There's no way that I can talk to everybody who's had cancer and understand everything that has happened. Mm. So we invite people to send us notes, to send us blogs. We'd like to get the conversation started. How can we all help each other live radiantly? That engagement is so important on the Internet. And, yes. you know, it is a two-way street. It's not just a yes. matter of, of reading your, your blogs, like you said, or reading your yep. book, but yep. taking what you learn and share that and, and share with you. And who knows? It might be a second book, you know, with, with even better tips. I mean, you we don't know what the future I would, holds. I would love to do that. I'd love to be behind the scenes coordinating tips um, and getting it out there and, and just – a side note, when I was first diagnosed, I was introduced to four different women and they each gave me sort of one profound tip. And that was part of what got this going. I thought, why? I don't have the energy to meet with hundreds of women to get right. tips. So let me put that out there. And that's what I'd invite your listeners to do is share back with me and let us together help everyone who's going through this live as radiantly as possible. Excellent. It has been a pleasure talking sure, with you. Thank you and so I, much. Again, I love the attitude. Um, I'm excited to, to get the book. I'm excited to share the book, even more importantly. I, too, am a cancer conqueror. 
Good. So I can totally relate with many of the things that you have shared today. Now, it's very easy to get a hold of you because all of your contacts on the social media are the same. Yes. Your web, the name of your book is Living Like a Lady. The name of your website is livinglikealady.com. Your yes. Facebook handle, your Twitter handle, your Pinterest handle is all the same, living like a lady. So anybody who wants to live like a lady, and I think everybody does, well, most women anyway, <laughs> is, is they are going to remember that name. Yes. And on Amazon, it would also be Living Like a Lady. The, and the, the book title is Living Like a Lady When You Have Cancer. So sometimes on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, you might have to put the When You Have Cancer. Okay. In, okay. okay. Just as a clarification. Sometimes it, it pops up with Living Like a Lady. Otherwise, you need that little When You Have Cancer piece. Okay. That's good to know because I didn't see that. So that's excellent to know. So living like a lady, living radiantly. And I love yes. that term. Um, you are an inspiration. And again, I thank you, Donna. It has been indeed a pleasure. Oh, Carol, thank you so much. I so appreciate you and what you're doing for everyone. Thank you. And goodbye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.